Hello, and thanks for joining me once more for Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. We are coming towards the end of our mini-series around lead definitions now, so if you're yet to hear the thoughts of Terry Flaherty, Chris Borman, and Pamela Guyton-Michaels, then head back through our last three episodes. It's now the turn of the salesperson to give me their view on how they define what a lead is. I'm Charles Commons, and I'm about to meet HubSpot's Sharon Murnahan. At the end of the day, a lead is a lead and it is valuable, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the most important thing. Ambitious salespeople, it's in their DNA that they go looking for the solutions. Actually, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a salesperson. I think it's an, actually it's a great time to be a salesperson. Sharon Murnahan is the Senior Key Account Manager at HubSpot. With over 20 years experience in sales, Sharon was the first person on my list to talk to about how the theory of lead generation works in practice. To begin with, as with all of our guests this month, I asked Sharon what her personal definition of a lead is. Yes, a a very basic question, um, Charles there, but very interesting as well. Um, And it really makes you think, how do you define a lead? So the way I look at it is... I'm a salesperson. My DNA sits in the sales ecosystem, but I now work for a marketing company or a marketing software company, which is how HubSpot originated. So I kind of see through my journey in HubSpot that a definition of a lead can be looked at from both a marketing perspective and a sales perspective. So the marketing generated lead, in my view, is an inbound lead that is a kind of comes as a top of the funnel inquiry. It's when a prospect comes to your website or our website and downloads something, a white paper, an ebook, or completes their details on a form. That is a lead from a marketing perspective. Then from a sales perspective, it's not dissimilar, but it's more of an outbound asset and it's typically generated when a sales development rep or a business development rep, a SDR or a BDR, will pick up the phone or send an email and reach out to them. So in my view, that's what the definition of a lead is from a marketing perspective. Um, uh, it's when somebody comes to your website and downloads some piece of content and completes a form. And a sales generated lead or uh, it's when a SDR or a BDR would reach out to a new prospect, new opportunity. So how does that definition change then when you go from um, you personally, who could go and work at any company that you wanted to, I'm sure, to when you actually get into work with HubSpot? Is there a, a, a change in that definition for you? I'm going to kind of you know play with your, your ask of the word change, because before I kind of worked in HubSpot, I never really thought too deeply or too thoroughly what the value of a lead actually was. I was a salesperson. I was given leads. I used just to pick up the phone or send an email and make an appointment or try and start the sales process so that I could make an appointment. But from my journey of working in HubSpot, I've actually come to value a lead and where it has come from and why I have it much more thoroughly than I ever did. So it's not about the change of my definition from joining HubSpot. It's actually about my realization of what a lead actually is. You know, it's somebody who has expressed some type of interest in my website, in HubSpot's website, and as a consequence of that, has come to the landing page and completed a form. So now I see, hey, this lead is actually quite valuable and could be something that begins the early stages of a sales process that we can then nurture and engage so that they ultimately become a customer. 
is it fair to say then that that really in the past you, you've not really looked at what a lead is and, and and done this sort of process before? You you've essentially just as a salesperson focused on closing that business and making money for the company that you work for, and then obviously for yourself through commission. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I suppose a little bit of my hand is holding up here, saying I'm not too sure if I really want to admit that, but I think you've just nailed it. Um, I have about 20 years of sales experience, so I'm a very seasoned salesperson. And over my 20 years experience, I've been a very successful salesperson. But until I actually joined HubSpot in the digital technology era, I never realized, as I said, what the value of a lead actually was, how hard it is to get that qualified lead initially. And then the value of that lead when it's actually passed over to a salesperson like me and what I could then do with it. Previous to that, never really thought about it. It was a case of, right, I've got a lead, I've got a quota, I now need to convert that lead into a sale. Now it's about, hmm, let's think about this lead. The lead actually has, I suppose, become something real. It's become something valuable. And I think when anything is real and anything is valuable, you really do sit up and pay much more attention to it than you ever would have had before. And just to clarify that, when I was using the term valuable, typically, the attitude of a salesperson is what you refer to there is there's a lead, go close it, get quota, get commission, go on holidays. But I think it's more than that now from my working in HubSpot, um, the realization of the value of that lead, what I could do with it. But then also it's the start of the sales process. It's the start of that qualification of that lead. And yes, that lead is valuable, but then there's also that qualification of what is that value? Is it valuable to me as a salesperson to close it into a customer so that I take it off my quota, get paid commission on it and go on holidays? Or maybe it's not valuable to my company because it's not a good fit, but it's still valuable to somebody somewhere. So it still needs to be treated with that same level of respect and attention. But you look at it from different angles depending on the type of lead that it is. Do you think then that your sort of attitude towards the whole process has changed since you've learned about, you know, what a lead is and, and how HubSpot actually work with, you know, going through that pipeline process to getting you those leads? Do you think maybe that if and when you, you leave HubSpot for a new challenge at a new company where you might just be, say, I don't know, head of sales or, or in a role such as that, then actually you might take what you've learned here and, and then actually be able to turn around and say to yourself, do you know what, actually, this is benefiting everyone and I will pass this information on and it will make us better salespeople. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, I I could look at that from two perspectives. Say I was to leave HubSpot and to move into another role in sales and remain as an individual contributor, then I would be looking at um, using the technology that's available to us today. I would have more insight of what to look for in the leads that were arriving into my inbox. If I was a sales manager and responsible for sales reps, I would take the learning from here and try to pass it down the line to those sales reps to, again, look at the leads, look at the value of them, look at where they've come from, look at the behavior that they've done, collaborate with marketing, have more of an insight into what is that lead? Is it valuable to us as a company? Is it value to the proposition that we're trying to sell? What type of value does that lead actually hold for my sales reps? 
but I also try and teach them to have respect for that lead. I know that sounds a little bit strange, but no lead left behind. Take a look at those leads, analyze them. Are they valuable to us uh, or to them as individual contributors? Or if I am the individual contributor, are they valuable to me to help me close my quota? But are they also valuable to that lead? Is my product or service valuable to that lead? Is it going to help them solve whatever problem it was that they had that encouraged them to come to the website in the first place? So how do you actually measure success then in your role, Sharon, at the moment? Is it just about how many deals that you close? Is is that literally where you get to and, and look at how successful you've been? Yes and no. Um, I think how I measure success or how I would be measured on success is tied into two things. It's tied into, yes, how many deals you close, because that is your monthly sold MRR. But it's also tied into how many deals you retain because when I worked in sales in in HubSpot it's about helping our partner managers to deliver inbound marketing services to their customers using a HubSpot license so my role would be to help them to sell HubSpot licenses to their end user so that they could wrap high value retainer services around those licenses and deliver predictable revenue stream into their business. But businesses are not built on always selling uh, bringing in new sales all the time Businesses are also built on retaining the customer that you already have. I mean, I remember from my own Yellow Pages days, we had a phrase of it's seven times harder to attract a new customer than to retain your existing. And I don't think that has changed. I actually think that statistic in the digital age has become even more heightened. I think it's about 63% um, in today's world. But the message is that it is harder to attract new customers than to retain existings. So I measured on both helping my customers retain their customers and also helping my customers to sell new businesses to their customers as well. So it's, I think for every business, it's about building that house of stone by retaining what you have and by selling new rather than building houses built on, on cards that can be blown away by the wind because you haven't retained what you've got and you're not selling enough to, to build your pipeline. So at the, at the end of the day, then a lead is a lead and converting that into a sale is surely the most important thing. We, we've asked this question to the last two people that we've spoken to, both Chris Borman and Pamela Guyton-Michaels. How much do you rely on the theory of what a lead is then in your role? And, and what is your priority given to? Is it is it to the theory or is it to actually win the business at the end of it? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. And I had to, I really did think about it as well. And it brings me back to the value of that lead. Because yes, at the end of the day, a lead is a lead and it is valuable. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the most important thing to convert it into a sale. Because look, as a quota carrying rep, your job is to convert leads into sales. But I think it's the the conversion of that lead into a sale that's more important than the lead actually being a lead. And I think we're going back to what is the value of that lead? Is it a good fit for your product and service? Is your product or service a good fit for them? And I think the overall importance of it is the conversion of the right lead at the right stage in their buyer's journey and that it solves for them and not just for me as the sales rep. So I think that's down to 
your sales process being very, very robust and being very, very thorough on your qualification. And that's one of the things I really like about leads in today's world is that they are so much more qualified when a salesperson gets them than they ever were before when I worked in sales in a non-digital environment. Leads that we get now could have come from a prospect that landed on a website. Therefore, our marketing department were able to track the IP address. By tracking the IP address, they were able to see who that lead was, what some particular behaviors. They're then able to generate specific marketing campaigns that will help those types of leads come into the funnel in the first place. When those types of prospects come in, then they are better qualified as prospect. Then they raise their hands by completing a form on the websites and then they get converted into a lead, which is when I, as a salesperson, get them. And as I said, then I have the ability to use technology to start qualifying. Are they a good fit lead for what I do um, rather than a good fit lead just for me to close so that I can gain quota relief? So it's about that conversion process and that qualification process to align more, I suppose, of the theory rather than just to win the business. So I, I, I suppose really then the, the question that I've kind of got is that I've worked in sales in you know on the shop floor and I go out there and literally my job is just to sell the customer a product, whatever product it is that they actually want to buy from me. I never once thought about any sort of process that went on behind that other than the process of, of how I come across to that person and therefore make sure that they leave my business um, happy and wanting to return. And the, the interesting thing that you said before, and I completely agree with, was about the, you know, the retaining customers being actually the easier part of sales rather than bringing in new customers. And for me, it was always about making sure that everybody that came into my unit was going to leave happy, having had exactly what they wanted from me and would be happy to return and also to tell their friends and their peers and their family what a good experience they had and therefore try and get business that way by basically just through word of mouth. Now, that's kind of going away from the definition of a lead, so so to speak. But for me, when I was you know, in that position of, of selling, that that was what my thought process was. It never came back to how has the marketing actually worked to get this person into the building in the first place. It was simply someone's walked through the door, make sure that they get what they want and that they leave happy. I really like to hear that at least you have added on where you wanted your customer to leave happy because in the previous age, many sales reps, they really weren't too concerned whether the customer actually left happy. They were just more interested in the fact that they had now become a customer. They had converted from a lead into an opportunity and had become a customer. Happiness, I wouldn't think ever really rated terribly highly on a sales rep's thought process. What did rate very highly is that these guys were now a customer, so therefore there's commission coming in my next paycheck. And I think that's one of the big changes that we've seen, or certainly that I've seen from when I sold in my Yellow Pages days to now selling in the digital age, is that it is more about the customer happiness. It is more about the customer experience. But if we just revert that back or peel some of those layers of the onions back, uh, that customer experience starts to happen right from when that prospect converts into being a lead. And that's where marketing step in is is about generating those prospects so that they become good fit leads. Once they become the lead, then that ownership and responsibility transfers over to sales. And where I see it, and one of my learnings from working in the digital era now and working with HubSpot, 
is the conversion of that lead into the opportunity so that I can close it into the sale. As I referred before, it's about that qualification bit in the middle. And that qualification revolves around, in my view, three things, three, three criteria that I learned uh, five years ago when I started as a salesperson in here in HubSpot. And those three things are pain, interest and fit. It is something that I do pass on to my colleagues in here and I have passed on to my own customers so that they're qualifying well for the customers that they bring on as well. So the first one about pain is, do they have a pain? I mean, a pain or a need. I mean, if they don't have a pain or they don't have a need, well, then nothing that you can say or nothing that your product can do is ever going to be right for them. And that's the first part of the qualification of the modern salesperson now is to qualify for that pain and qualify for that need so that your product or service can fill that gap and solve for that pain. And that's where that qualification comes in. You know, they, and they ask those types of questions to identify what that pain is, how urgent that pain is, and what, the, what they're going to do about solving it. If there's no pain, if it's just education or there's just interest, well, then, you know, help them out, solve for that. But be realistic that this particular lead is not going to convert into the customer. And that's back to what I was saying earlier on about the value of the lead. Um, is it valuable to you, the salesperson, to actually convert into a customer or is it not? And you need to be quite rigid and specific in that qualification for pain. The second qualification criteria that I would always use is about interest. And that is they might be aware of their problem, but they, they must be interested in actually solving for it as well. You could also refer that to as do they know that they have this pain and do they want help with that pain? So if they have interest in knowing that they have the pain or the need, do they know that it needs to be solved for? And you can bring in the urgency there. You can bring in the timeline there, because if, if none of those exist, well, then this particular lead is never going to close into a customer. Anyway, and here I would encourage use those qualifying questions, use those challenger questions um, so that you really are qualifying for the right reasons to solve for the customer and not to solve for the sales rep so that you hit your quota. The third thing is about fit. And I think I referred to that earlier on as well about the value of the customer or the value of the lead is, you know, if they don't have a if they do have a pressing need and they are interested in it. But maybe they're a mom and pop shop, they're a one, two person business, and what I'm selling is software for enterprise businesses. Well, then they're not a good fit for what I can offer them. So again, you're looking at solving for the customer or solving for that lead in that space and letting that particular lead go or referring it on to somebody else who can help them better. So the qualification um, in today's world about do they have a pain? Are they interested in solving for that pain? And does my product or service solve for that need and that pain that they actually have? So that overall, as you said earlier on, that they leave as a customer, but they leave as a happy customer and they stay with us as a retained customer for however long my solution is going to solve for whatever their need was. When you said there about um, how they might not be a fit for you because of their circumstances, so you know they might not be the bigger bit in enterprise, you said there about sort of passing them on to somebody else that might help. Do you mean like outside of HubSpot? So you might be aware of a company that offers the same sort of service, but uh, for a smaller sort of business that might just fit them better. Would you then recommend a different business other than your own? And 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 then with that 
sort of be thinking, well, because I've still provided them with an answer, so they'll remember me. And then hopefully if their business does evolve and does get bigger, they'll come back to me. A long time ago, I used to work for Carphone Warehouse and uh, it was just in the, the call center there. And, and sometimes people would come through and they just ask me, you know, for a service that we didn't perhaps provide on their network at the time. But I knew that they could get that particular service at a different shop. And I used to say to them, well, you know, I'm not asking you to go away and not be our customer anymore, but I know you can get that service with whoever it might have been. And I always used to see that as being good customer service because it still fixed the issue that the customer was calling for, even though I might have been doing, you know, ourselves out of some money. But at the end of the day, we couldn't provide them with the the thing that they wanted to spend their money on. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I think it's probably one of the hardest things that a salesperson can do, which is to say no to a potential customer. Uh, But it is also, it's the right thing to do. Uh, It really is. And I mean, I think it was one of the things that I learned in my early days in HubSpot here as well, was to take off the sales hat and put on the consultant hat. Um, If we're not a good fit for that particular prospect company, well, at the end of the day, then Charles, we're not a good fit. I can be an excellent salesperson. In fact, I am an excellent salesperson. So I probably could have closed the customer, but you're not closing the customer for the right, you're not closing the right customer for the right reasons with the right product. And customers aren't stupid out there. You know, they will they will realize it very quickly that I sold them wrong. And that leaves, you know, that means that their investment was sold wrong and they have to come back and they're going to complain. Uh, It's going to cause extra work internally for us to try and somebody else to try and fix it for them, somebody else to our finance department to, you know, take down the the service that they bought, uh, refund them their money. Uh, It's going to cause extra work for them and it's going to, uh, for our finance department, it's also going to cause extra work for the customer because they've got to go to all this hassle. They still have a need that needs to be solved and that need that needs to be solved is not solved. So all that's solved is that they've got a really bad taste in their mouths because an overambitious salesperson in HubSpot sold them incorrectly and it's the wrong thing to do. So it is a hard thing to do for a salesperson to refer them on. But I think when you can do that, and you can transparently hold your hand on heart, say it was the right thing to do. I think you've really arrived as an ace and an A salesperson to do that because it's the right thing to do. I've got to say, it's so refreshing to hear someone with a sales background talk about how important the customer is and how making their journey as easy and rewarding as possible is at the top of Sharon's agenda. We'll be back with more from Sharon in a moment, so don't go anywhere. Serious Decisions is a research and advisory firm that delivers the actionable, intelligence, transformative frameworks and expert guidance that equip executives to modernize and elevate sales, marketing and product performance. Fast-growing companies rely on Serious Decisions research and insights to improve their decision-making ability and help them implement and change processes faster to drive growth. Based on a recent study, Serious Decisions clients have proven to grow 12 to 15 times faster than their peers and have a 34% higher profitability rate. Serious Decisions' mission is to help their clients achieve cross-functional alignment and improve performance through access to cutting-edge research and collaborative step-by-step counsel. Check out their latest research and insights at SeriousDecisions.com. Welcome back to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. I'm with HubSpot's senior key account manager, Sharon Murnahan. 
In my conversations with Terry, Chris and Pamela over the last three episodes of the podcast, one of the key components which has arisen is how the key dominator is the relationship between marketing and sales. Each need to have trust and a strong level of communication as each party needs each other. So I asked Sharon to share her own viewpoint on this for us. Yes, I think um, I think it's an age-old thing, this lack of trust between marketing and sales. I know HubSpot in our State of Inbound 2017 did a survey that showed that salespeople and marketing people have one of the lowest levels of trust of all professional services. They're in and around 3%. They, you know, up at the top, by the way, are policemen. Um, but when you see something like that, that trust is so low in the marketplace, and a lot of that peels back to the fact that salespeople don't trust marketing people and marketing people don't trust salespeople. And if you think back to the start of our conversation here um, about salespeople just wanting to achieve quotas so that they can go on holidays, a lot of marketing people see salespeople as being like that. Look, all they want to do is close the leads at any cost so that they get commissioned. On the reverse of that, or on the flip side of that, salespeople see marketing people as, oh, they run a whole load of campaigns that are completely irrelevant to what I do, and they deliver me a whole load of leads that I can't close. So marketing send me leads that I can't close, and salespeople will close anything so that they hit quota. And that's where that distrust comes in. And I think it's been there for time immemorial. One of the things I liked when I joined here in HubSpot was we have we coined a word called smarketing, which is where sales and marketing are aligned together for the achievement of the overall company goal. And I think it's 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 becoming a much more common theme, a much more common word in other companies, but it still has an awfully long way to go. But essentially what it means is that sales and marketing actually work together for the common good. Very simple, uh, very basic. How I see that happening is by following six steps. And those steps are, the first step is about having a shared language. And what I mean by shared language is, look, we all have definitions. We all have um, different ways of saying things. But I think when you've got different definitions and different ways of saying things, well, then there's misunderstanding. So when you have a shared language, like what is a sales qualified lead? What is a marketing lead or what even is a lead? When you have a shared language about what is a lead, well, then you actually have a good foundation to move forward for that relationship. So if you say if marketing and sales can agree that a lead is a prospect who came to the website, uh, downloaded a piece of content and filled out their details on a form, well, now you have a collaboration of understanding between the two sides. So that's the first thing is about having a shared language. The second step that I would recommend is have integrated software, have software that works together. Now, there's lots of software out there. And we, as I said, we're very, very lucky in this day and age that we have so much ability to do our jobs so much more easily. I mean, marketing automation from a marketing perspective to help with those uh, prospects into leads and help those leads on their journey so that they, by the time they come to sales, they're very, they're marketing qualified and then they're sales qualified. So marketing automation can give us a ton of insight into the behaviors and the personality of that particular lead. If you couple that then with a good and robust sales software, a good sales or a CRM system and work the two of them together, well, now you have an integrated platform where both sides are working together. 
So those are the first two steps. One is to speak the same language and have a shared definition. And two is to set up integrated software where you have a CRM system that's working with your marketing automation system. If you can have the two platforms in one system, even better. If not, uh, one integrates with the other, that works fine too. The third thing, which I think is extremely important to build that trust between marketing and sales, is to set up an SLA. And that means a service level agreement. And that's exactly what it says on the tin. It's an agreement between both sides on the activities that they're going to work on together to drive the engine of the company. It is how many leads are marketing going to deliver to sales and how many leads are sales going to commit to marketing that they're going to close within a specific time frame. So marketing and sales are working together using a service level agreement to have a shared responsibility and a shared accountability of those responsibilities. Then the fourth thing is to have an open communication between both sides. And this can be worked on two ways. One is to have weekly marketing meetings between your sales leaders and your marketing leaders. That's where your service level agreements are compiled, created, and are reviewed to make sure that they're still current and that accountability is being adhered to. The other um, meeting I would always encourage is to have a shared team meeting where sales and marketing teams get together on a monthly basis and all the information is shared in an open environment so that marketing can see exactly what sales have been doing and sales can see exactly what marketing can do. What I find with this is that it leads to an understanding between both teams of what both teams actually do rather than both working in isolation. Marketing are creating campaigns to deliver leads and sales are closing those leads to deliver customers. But when you have a shared meeting, you can understand then what marketing had to do to make sure that sales got the right types of leads and vice versa what sales have to do to convert those leads into actual customers. Because another shared communication could be just simple conversations. Sales are typically at the front line with their customers. So they're getting a lot of information from customers that could be very valuable to marketing to create those campaigns to deliver those types of customers. The fifth step to build that trust between sales and marketing is to rely on data, is to set up dashboards a dashboard for, for marketing tied into the SLA and a dashboard for sales also tied into their SLA back to marketing and then a shared dashboard between both to see what leads were generated, what leads were closed and by when and what type of customers were generated. So we have a shared responsibility, a shared ownership and a shared respect for each of the two functions to deliver that overall result for the company. And the last step that I've added in here is culture because I think that wraps around steps one to five, which is about speaking the same language, about setting up integrated software, about implementing service level agreements that are bi-directional between both functions, maintain open communication with weekly and monthly meetings, and then the reliance on shared data. When you have those steps in place, you're starting to build a culture of respect, accountability, and trust between both functions to enable your organization to drive forward. So you've mentioned in the past how marketing is a cost center and not seen as a growth like sales is viewed. Is this where the issue arises in your view? Yeah, I think, you know, 
marketing was always typically looked at as a cost center because there was never as much accountability or metric enablement or metric reviewing of the activities of marketing. So therefore, you know, when people can't see what a function actually does, then it's always going to be reviewed as a cost center. Sales, on the other hand, I think, in my view, always had an easier right to justify their existence. And that's because you can very categorically and very easily tie revenue distribution or revenue generation back to sales. I mean, sales close customers. There's the money in the bank. End of story. It's a very simple, simple story. But tying um, marketing back to those same type of activities is a much harder thing to do. But I think when companies can do that or when companies actually put in place a definitive plan of what does marketing do, how do they do it, so that they can deliver the right types of leads over to sales so that they can then close them into customers. Well, then you now have a marketing department with very metricable, if that's an English word, um, activities or that you can tie back to the, to the activities that they've done to deliver revenue to the company. You know, there's, there's three ways that marketing can do this. Um, I think the first one is, as I said, thanks to digital technology, we are now able to, marketing are able to use analytics that can categorically tie delivering of X amount of leads um, of a specific quality back to the customers that were closed so they now have revenue tied back to the deliverers of certain deliverables of certain campaigns that were run so the value of the technology to the company attached to the marketing campaigns that were run to deliver those leads means that you now are able to tie those that revenue back the second thing they need to do to i suppose identify that they are revenue generating rather than a cost center is as i said be more aligned with, with your sales department really make it a company strategy to input something like marketing into your company uh, work with your sales team work with your sales managers work with your sales leaders on what needs to happen for them to close those customers and then have a shared responsibility and a shared accountability of what marketing can do and that ties into your slas of what marketing needs to do to deliver those prospects leads that sales could then close. Again, technology, as I spoke about earlier on, that integrated software uh, using marketing automation can enable tying those campaigns back to those deliverables, back to those leads, back to those customers. And I think the third thing is, you know, keeping the sales funnel moving. Um, sales funnels in the buying process can tend to get broken at certain stages. So using technology again, marketing can see where is the gap? Is there a gap in their process of delivering those prospects, of helping to, using technology to help convert those prospects into leads so that they can then deliver those more valuable, more qualified leads over to sales so that they can actually close them into customers. And I think tied around those three things, which is, you know, the, the sales funnel being broken uh, marketing and sales teams being aligned and then using digital marketing technology to put it all together is to put it into a strategic marketing plan and sharing it with your senior executives so that marketing are at the boardroom table with a cognizant plan or a cogent plan that says, this is what we do, this is how we do it, and these are the results that come from the activities that we've done. And when they can do that, and it's part of a strategic marketing plan that's sitting on the boardroom and is approved by the leaders of the company, well now marketing has transformed itself from being a cost center into being a revenue generator or a revenue enablement center. So the sales landscape is obviously continually evolving, Sharon. Um, can you tell our listeners about some of the major changes that are occurring and the challenges you face to remain on top of your game? 
Yeah, I think it's, it's, as I spoke earlier on, you know, from coming from a Yellow Pages print advertising sales background and then coming into a company like HubSpot, which is very digital, um, lots of software, lots of accountability, lots of metrics. I think, I, actually, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a salesperson. I think it's an, actually, it's a great time to be a salesperson. There is so much software out there for sales acceleration. Um, as I spoke about earlier on, we have marketing automation, we have CRM systems. When you have the two integrated together, you have complete visibility over what that lead is and where it came from and then what its buyer's journey was becoming a marketing qualified lead and then to become a sales qualified lead so that you can then have all the insights into the behaviors and the activities of that particular lead to help me as a salesperson ultimately convert it into a customer or as we spoke about earlier on if it's not a good fit we'll then let it go and move on to something that is a good fit so I think um, sales enablement technology has really allowed salespeople to be top of their game. I think the other thing that's coming down the line is the ability to use technology, the, also the ability to learn new things for sales reps so that they can become top of their game. I think where, where sales is going is technology is going to change the landscape. We're going to start seeing AI and bots doing more of, I suppose, those bottom level menial tasks that salespeople used to do. A lot of that initial reach out calling, that initial qualification that I spoke about earlier on today is going to be now done by bots or chat bots, um, which will deliver good customer experience at the initial touches and then will deliver more qualified leads to salespeople. And I think what's going to happen there is that salespeople will be able to engage in more complex deals. They'll be able to engage in more uh, elongated uh, sales processes, but they'll also be able to use technology to help define those leads that they have and help um, them close those sales into higher value with higher quotas, in which case salespeople, not necessarily driven by quota, but will be able to I suppose, see a better return in their paycheck at the end of every month. But I think salespeople as well, you know, the more driven salespeople, they want to be the most efficient at what they do. They want to be the most effective at what they do. And by using sales technology, using sales acceleration software, marketing automation, CRM, that's going to help them be super efficient at what they do. If they want to be effective, they're also, you know, as a consequence of the activities that marketing have done using the technology that's available, their marketing will be able to deliver better qualified leads to them. When those leads come over, then you're going to have bots doing the early qualification, and then you're going to have sales picking up to be able to drive more complex sales. And added to that, then, ambitious salespeople will be able to use technology, use the ability to learn more and learn better. We're here on a podcast today. This wasn't around 10 years ago, more or less, when people could learn through podcasts or learn through webinars or take, take training courses on demand uh, or take training courses rather than sitting in uh, auditoriums now and listening to somebody droning on and on and on. We can check in on our lunch hour and just download a, a piece of content and that's a sales training course. Or we have the old-fashioned books where you're turning paper over or we have Kindle there's so many opportunities to learn more, to learn better, to accelerate your sales. There's so many more opportunities out there using technology, using AI and using bots that enable salespeople to be that super efficient professional salesperson. And I think that's how that landscape is changing. 
And I think the salespeople who adapt with that, who leverage that, are going to be the salespeople of the future. There's no doubt that HubSpot are very much front runners when it comes to leveraging technology as an enabler for salespeople. And there's some stuff there that you talked about, about ambitious salespeople being able to drive value, Sharon. With the increase of different technology tools, professional sales is becoming quite fragmented. How do you safeguard against the risk of salespeople becoming lazy and perhaps becoming too reliant on technology to get the sales job done? How do you balance that out? Yeah, that's a that's a really really interesting question, and I think um, and that's a big that will that is a big challenge. I think the word lazy is an interesting one because there is always going to be that danger that salespeople could become lazy or could become complacent in their environment. I think you know you're going to have to bucket salespeople into into two buckets really for that type of question. The ambitious salespeople will always find something else. They will always think forward. They've, they, they, their DNA works that way. They're always thinking of better ways to do things. They're always thinking of more problems that they could solve. And then they go out and they seek those solutions, whether it's technology or whether it's back, as I said, to old-fashioned books, whatever that happens to be. Ambitious salespeople, it's in their DNA that they go looking for the solutions. Um, they go, they they. They collaborate with other departments. They recognize that they don't. They might not have all the answers and they will liaise with the tech department or they liaise with product going, can we do this? If we could do this, how could we do this That's this way? Or they see that they, they look more deeply into the underlying problems that customers might actually have and then they try and find better, more efficient ways to solve for those. That's your first bucket of salespeople. Ambitious salespeople will always go that extra mile to find out more, to dig more deeply into the actual problems that customers have, and then to go and ask for help if they don't have the answers of people who can actually solve for that. The other type of salespeople are, I suppose, the non-ambitious salespeople. Salespeople are just happy to do what they do every day, leverage what they've got to do what they do every day. And I think, how do you keep those salespeople interested how do you keep those salespeople motivated again that's a big cha- that's a challenge for sales leaders it's a challenge for sales managers it's back to understanding individuals it's understanding you know it's it's a it's a bigger it's a bigger question than what we're here today to talk about i think and there's a bigger solve for that but it's about really trying to find the motivators trying to find the drivers for that different type of salesperson and then enabling them to solve for that. And if, if there is technology that will work for them, and there probably is, we're then working with them to use that to enable them to be happy with what they're doing, be happy in complacency versus the ambitious salesperson who's never going to be happy in complacency because they always want to do more. My thanks to Sharon Murnahan. An incredibly insightful conversation, I'm sure you'll agree. You can find out more about HubSpot on HubSpot's website, hubspot.com. On Friday morning, a special edition of the podcast will be available as I got all four of our previous guests into the same room to discuss their individual thoughts on the definition of a lead. It really is not to be missed. Thanks for listening to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions, with me, Charles Commons. I'll be back next time, and I'll see you then.